0: Welcome to Broadcast with a capital B-R. I'm your host, Geo, and I'm joined by our co-host, Dr. Shrimply, and we thank you for clicking that play button. Doctor, how you doing tonight, buddy?
1: I'm oh, doing pretty good. Just came off doing some uh, Rocket League earlier and ranked. I know, I know, not Apex, but uh, I've played enough Apex the past two days. <laughs> it taking me a minute, I'm going to be right back on it tomorrow after uh, some other games.
0: Dude, I could have swore instead of Rocket League, you were about to say yoga or something.
1: Dude, if I did yoga, I would be a happier human being, probably. And I can't have that.
0: Man, I, I couldn't do yoga for anything. I Whenever you see me stretch, all you hear is like, crack, 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 crack. And they're like, you're the most non-flexible person I've ever met in my life. And I'm like... Welcome to the life of fat power lifter who thinks he has muscles, but instead it's just a bunch of fat.
1: <laughs> Look, man, I <laughs> breathe and things pop. I'm like, <clears throat> oh god, no. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, broadcast is an Apex Legends podcast. It is your number one ultimate source of Apex Legends related content, from news, deep dives to community related topics, and also ALGS topics, um, which I don't include in that statement. Is uh, we hope that you will rejoin our quest for knowledge and mastery as we explore. Apex Legends together. With that said, we would like to welcome any of our first time listeners. If you would like to become a part of the broadcast community, please visit our link tree at link tree forward slash BR underscore, underscore broadcast. Again, that's link tree, un- <laughs> link tree forward slash BR underscore broadcast, where you will find all of our links. So let's go ahead and get into the topic for today's show. Before we go into topics as usual, this is not the normal broadcast production, right? Our normal production is bi-weekly. So this is actually me and Dr. Shrimply taking a deep dive into the ALGS where we will cover things um, such as the ALGS structure will be one of our topics, the ALGS results for a certain region of whatever region we are covering that week. And then lastly, today, instead of doing the learn from the pro section, we are actually going to talk about the importance of map rotation. And the reason that we're doing that is because map rotation in the ALGS is huge, right? Teams have certain places they land. Teams have certain rotations they already have planned out due to the knowing what maps can be played on. Um, so we actually watched a video uh, from a guy who seemed to know what he was talking about. And we're going to discuss that video and all the things he brought up and then also talk about how that is related to what we are seeing in ALGS. So before we go and get started, let me go and do a couple of quick announcements. So the first thing that I would like to announce is we are going to do a small change, which hasn't been a big problem uh, for the podcast so far. Um, So far, we have really not used much language, foul language, or even been kind of raunchy or whatever. But one of the changes that we are making is this will be a clean podcast from here on out. You know, we're here to talk Apex. We're here to have fun. Um, and this basically springs from the fact that all three of us are fathers. Me, Elmer, and Dr. Shrimpley are fathers. And we are family all- friendly. Yeah, we are. <laughs> we are <laughs> as he stares at me in a creepy way. <laughs> yeah, we're hey. family friendly. So uh, and, and basically what this sprung for is the other day I was on my way to driving my kid to school and uh, he asked me, he was like, Daddy, can I hear you? on the radio. And I was like, yeah, son. And so I put on the podcast and, you know, luckily we didn't get enough words in before we got to our maybe one or two dirty words we had in the first four episodes. But uh, you know, he really was able to sit there and he engaged and asked me questions about like, dad, how are you doing this? Dad, that's my favorite character. Revan is my favorite character. And so I definitely want you all, you all to be able to experience this podcast, not only uh, by yourselves, but with your family. Um, you know, I'd love for, I'd love to hear stories of people sitting down with their kids and you all listen to this podcast. And then you have a great conversation about what is map rotation and son, why is that important? Right. Or daughter who, you know, you might have a daughter interested in Apex as well. So that's the first announcement. The second announcement I'd like to make is a special thank you to Dropping Spicy and Elmer Fudd. Um, of course, Elmer Fudd is our co-host, but they both hosted tournaments on the first weekend of Storm, Ma- or Storm Point being here with us, right? Um, and let me go ahead and just give you the results of those tournaments, which I'm really excited to say um, were pretty decent, right? It
1: was crazy because I had to keep up with those scores.
0: You did. You did. And God, you was did not. a fantastic <laughs> job. If if anything, you you know, definitely, you know, great job to all parties this weekend. You know, in Dropping Spicy, you had uh, Dr. Shrimply keeping the score for them. Um, you had Adam Bomb and ExoMat casting uh, the first time, I believe, casting.
1: I think together it was their first time. They've done some shout casting before, but I think together and for Dropping Spicy, it was their first time.
0: So great great job there and then uh, Elmer Fudd is never a disappointment. Him uh him doing it with uh, I forget who the other guy was. Um but him and then they surprised him by bringing someone they never really get to see anymore and so he got to you know be surprised by that but they did such a great job. Um and with the results, you know, for the Dropping Spicy tournament, I was on Team Facebook Marketplace and that was Elmer's first tournament back in I would say either like months to a year. I mean, it's been a long time since he got to play and it was me, um, him and Bert are actual, our only Patreon. Right. And we actually got fifth out of 10 teams. Um, And so we played this, this tournament a little different because it was LGS points. Right. So it matched LGS. And so we actually went for placement more than we went for kills. And I believe that's where it bit um, us in the butt. But I wish they allowed me to shot call, so I'll take the blame for it. But overall, I still think five out of 10 is still a great place for our, for Elmer's first tournament back. And, and um, you know, I can't thank these guys enough for allowing me to call the rotations and all that because it was a lot of fun. And so then in Elmer's tournament, um, I was on Team Dead Sheep Mush. I, I have no idea. I, I really don't know. Um, but my teammates were Mushy Feather and Idiot Tex, two guys that I had never, other than Mushy, had never, I played with Mushy like maybe one time. Other than that, though, I had never played with Idiot Tex, and he literally got on five minutes before the tournament. Didn't even get to warm up with the guy. But we were still able to play seven out of 18 teams, and and we actually won three games throughout the whole tournament. It was super crazy, and two of those games were back-to-back um, you know, I, w- I had a couple of 2k uh damage badges could pop up. I had about a, I think my best kill game was nine kills, and I switched my character the first day I played Bloodhound, um, to be able to scan. I think that made me lazy, and so then the second day I, I came out with a Revenant, and I was, I mean, I just need to play Revenant, he's my best character. Uh, so but D- Dr. Shrimply, how was the experience with you and dropping Spicy? Did it go smooth or? Or did you have any challenges that you faced whenever you were doing that?
1: So for anyone wondering about the behind the scenes of scorekeeping, it's not easy. One, it involves spreadsheets. I don't understand spreadsheets. Thankfully, didn't have to make that. ExoMat did. And he made a bunch of them just in case one messed up because lo and behold, one messed up and I had to redo all of the scores halfway through the tournament.
0: Oh, no. So, like,
1: while y'all are sending me scores, I'm inputting them into the old one to make sure they're not messed up for the new one, re-inputting them in for the new one, and then still taking in new ones. Mm. And that that kind of sucked. But otherwise, nah, I mean, it was actually pretty smooth sailing. We stayed on top of it, you know, made sure that everybody was able to keep up with scores. Um, I know next time they're going to try for a more, more like Elmer Fudds, where they have the live leaderboard so you can see it as it's happening. But I think for a first time, they actually did quite well and. I'm surprised that uh, I know how to hit keys as well as I do. (laughs) Uh,
0: Nice. Yeah. So great job there, man. You guys did awesome. So, um, and then the last announcement is just to remember that our normal cast will be this Wednesday coming up and we will discuss how the patch notes have affected the game. So a lot of places have already talked about the patch notes. We don't really need to go into a deep dive about each and every patch note but what we want to do is go back and look at them and say how we believe they've affected the game. Right. And that could be as how has the new map affected the game? Uh, you know, how has Ash affected the game? How's the changes to the uh, triple take and, you know, are they already uh, tried to nerfing of the triple take, you know, all that, how's it changed the game? Um, the next thing we'll be actually talking about is the best comp for getting the win on storm point. And then lastly, we will actually go over our favorite POIs from the first week of storm point. So, Make sure you are there with me and Elmer Fudd as we discuss those um, topics. And we, we can't wait to have you there and listening with us. So the first uh, topic that we need to move into is the ALGS structure. If you want a deep breakdown of the ALGS structure, go back and listen to the EMEA uh, podcast episode where I will talk about it for 16 minutes straight. We will not do that here. I'm going to cover very quickly. (laughs) Uh, So basically to talk about it, right? You have split one and you have a split two split. One has teams split into four different groups at, from each region. There are a total of five different regions. Those are the Europe, Middle East, and Africa, the North America, the Asia Pacific, North Asia, Pacific South, and the South America regions. So basically those get uh, split into four groups, each region, um, and basically the way they do is they assign each group, a letter, A, B, C, or D. And then throughout the first five weeks, these groups will be swept swapped and put in, uh, facing each other differently each week. So you might have a versus B one week, a versus C the next week, or even a versus D. Um, you never know until you, you get there. Um, and so, you know, that's how that basically works is they'll fight each other. There's points assigned at the end of each, each week. And then, you know, as the teams progress through each week, there's an overall score that they get given. And so basically at the end of split one, you will have the at risk teams which these are the bottom teams and they will face teams from the challenger circuit where eight teams will remain and return into split two. Right. And so split after split one, we will then have the at risk teams fight um, to find their way back. And then we'll have the split one playoffs where the top three teams will go straight to the LGS championships. And then following that, it will be all reset. Split two will happen. The split two playoffs will happen. And then finally we'll be at the championships. And so if you haven't listened so far, our first episodes were about the week one matches from the uh, Europe, Middle East, and Asia. And then we covered the North America matches for week two. And so now what this is, is we're covering the week three matches, which occurred on October 30th through 31st for APAC North, right? So the uh, countries that this involves is Japan, Mongolia, and South Korea. So with 126 players in this region, um, there is 79% of them coming from Japan and 21% of them coming from South Korea. Right. And so, um, really this was a little bit challenging, which is why it's a week, uh, about, a, I don't know, about a half a week later than what I'd liked, but there is actually a way for you to watch APAC North, APAC South in English. And so you can go to RECT that's R E K T with a lowercase G N after it to watch these games in English. Right. So you can go watch them in, I think it's Japanese is what the original, uh, Showing is, but then you can go to rec and then they kind of, they replay it, but then you have two people that speak English actually casting them after it's being replayed. So I'll make sure to put a link for that in the description so that you can get to that. Um, but it's, it's really enlightening what you'll find in these games. And we're going to cover that of course. And so our next episode will be next week and it will cover Asia Pacific South and their day four. And then the week after that, um, which will be the week of December fifth? Uh, we will actually cover South America's match eleven, and like I said before in this podcast, the reason that we do this is that I want to cover each and every region. So I've selected one region per week of play, and that's how we've done it. And so before we get into the matches, I would like to again go over the scoring just for the matches. So the matches each day there's six matches total, right? So on uh, APAC North, whenever they showed up on uh, Saturday, they knew that they were going to play six matches and that each match was scored accordingly. You had placement scores, which were first was 12 points, second was nine, third was seventh, and anything below that we don't really care about. Ain't that right, Doctor? Nah. Um, <laughs> even though I'm, I never got above that in the tournaments I played, right? So I guess we do care. We um, care a little bit. We care a little bit. Just
1: don't want to admit uh,
0: how much. Oh yeah. No, we can't. Um, and then we had the kill points. So one for each kill, right? So super simple scoring. They know how it is. And then of course, after the six matches, there's this running total of your, all your six matches combined. And you get, uh, then you figure out who placed top for the day. And so, because there's two days of play, um, you know, whoever plays top on Saturday, whoever plays top on Sunday, and then there is an overall score um, which is uh, goes according to those scores um, that will then t- decide who gets the most points towards their overall score for the entire league, um, and so that's basically how it happens. And so we're going to cover the ALGS results next. And so what I'm going to do is ask Doctor Shrimpley to cover the overall leaderboard going into Week Three before we played. Right. So Doctor Shrimpley, what was our top three teams going into Week Three? Um and to look out for, I guess.
1: So our top D three, right, we're starting off great. We're solid. We are professionals. Our top three teams got <laughs> it. Uh, we're uh third place was Crazy Raccoon. Second place is Flora Esports, and first place was four five six. All right, so in first place. Four, five, six is, is made up of Yukio, Hesiko, and Hesiko. I'm, not, you know what, I'm bad at this. And then now Hiro, <laughs> with uh, nineteen points. They're known for their team comp of Crypto, Gibby, and Loba, and they are considered to be a super consistent team. Which I really hope to see that when they do make it to the finals. Which, based on the play playing that the, they're playing, they'll more than likely make it. Flora Esports is made up of Shunmi, Maney, and Ling. They had 18 points. Their normal team comp is Gibby, Crypto, and Octane, which we'll talk more about some of these team comps a little later on mm-hmm. and how crazy they get. Uh, they've been putting on the heat on 456, who claimed more kills than 456. They've had consistent placements in the game so far, which is really solid that they're going to stay right on the heels. I mean, it's, it's a one-point difference. It's anybody's deal. And then uh, Crazy Raccoon is Raz, Selly, and Zetter. And they apparently had 19 points. Hmm.
0: I, I don't think they had 19 points. I think I'm, it was less than that. That was my yeah. fault. I was like, wait a minute.
1: That's not how math works. You know, <laughs> okay. if, with
0: how much notes we type, uh, the notes errors just occur. So. Oh, yeah.
1: They're, I bet you they were around 17, honestly, because especially with how close a lot of these teams are. But we will always double check later. Y'all can always call us out on it. You know, we're we're getting mm-hmm. there. All right, nope. and they were Gibby, Valk, and Octane. Honestly, it's pretty standard on that cop. We've all seen it. They're looking to find redemption from week two. Very strong in the early game, but closing out isn't the best. They're they typically land trails and respect that. or teams respect that. So you want to take us on to match day three?
0: Yeah. So you know, just a just a comment about these teams. You'll see that throughout our us going through the winning teams for each match day these teams are ones that you're going to hear come out on top, right? These are teams that, um, like they said with Crazy Raccoons, they're consistent, they're very strong in the early game, um, but when they and, and when they do close it out and they they win, it's a great thing to see, right? Especially from uh, a caster standpoint, they get excited when people like Crazy Raccoon, who they knew aren't the best in the final ring, they, they close it out and they, they come out on top, right? Um, and I did think it was very interesting how... Teams will literally let them land trials and not contest them at all. So it's really exciting to see that um, and exciting to see how teams respect other teams in their normal places for drop. So, with that, let's go ahead and go into match uh, number, match day number three or October 30th of APEC North, B versus D. Right. So the first thing that I'd like to say is it was a, a little bit hard learning the teams. Uh, so you'll have to hang in there with me. Right. Um, A lot of this is me learning the teams. If if I'm, you know, if there's anything I can say, uh, I really didn't get into LGS till this year. So uh, this has been totally new to me. So, you know, and I hope that if you're listening now and maybe you hadn't gotten into LGS, you do take the chance to listen to this and really get to learn these team names. Learn what compositions they make up and what they can, what to look for whenever the championship rolls around. Right. So let's go ahead and talk about game one. So game one starts with the ring pulling towards launch site and dome. Early teams begin to rotate as they drop rapidly, only to get to the next grace period in the match. Right. So uh, by grace period, what I mean is that these matches, the way that the matches for APAC North would be, is that they would, there would be moments of like intense chaos for like. 30 seconds to a minute and a half. And then all of a sudden it would be total silence and just like chill, chill mode. Right. And so they, these were teams basically saying, okay, let's make it through this crazy fight. But then after that, we're going to get a second of breathing room um, to be able to move or rotate or do whatever we need to do decks, heal up, uh, figure out where to go next. So it was pretty interesting to see that. With the final ring looking to be in dome, craziness ensues as 14 teams fight in round five to get into dome. So these are teams fighting uphill to get into dome, right? So they have the high ground on the rocks, um, aid in teams helping wipe each other, right? So the high grounds of those rocks moving up um, to dome are the way that teams are being able to wipe other teams, right? So they use their, the uh, power position to their advantage. We had six squads left in ring six with teams in buildings and on top of buildings around buildings. As a zone comes through, it is RXR Clover that come out on top with six kills as they come from inside the building. um, And then zone, uh, you know, push in to kill the last team. Right? So this was really interesting because I believe Um, The reason they were able to do this is they basically sat undetected in that building. And then basically, as the ring was finally closing, they used Wraith to portal out and collect the final kills as the other two teams were fighting. So this was one of those classic Wraith composition, Wraith pushes uh, to use in the final ring it shows you that Wraith is still viable and is not going to be replaced by Ash. Ain't that right? Dr. Shrimply. I think Wraith yeah. still has a huge place in ALGS play. And so that was nowhere. game one. <laughs> yeah. She ain't going nowhere, not nowhere at all. Um, so that was game one. So that was actually exciting game one, right? Game two, the ring Lord leans towards live soften and li- and launch site. For some reason in ALGS, these rings love lava. Don't know why. Don't, I, I hate rings to end in lava, um, but for some reason these rings really love to lean towards the lava siphon dome area where there's plenty of lava to go around. So we had six squads left as Ring Six begins to head in towards the west part of launch site. Right. So team, it's Team Unite and Sun go- Sun Goku. So I really like Sun Goku um, mainly just because of their name. I really like Goku in any team name because uh, dragon ball Z is one of my favorite things growing up. I don't know about you, Dr. Trimbley. Did you grow up with dragon ball Z?
1: I grew up on uh dragon ball and then Z and then we'll ignore GT and move on uh, into super, which is fantastic.
0: Yeah. I mean, so to hear song Goku, um, well team unite and Songoku Goku engage in some heated fights and this is actually underneath <laughs> as he brings up Broly in the picture. Uh, that is Broly, right? I'm right not, no, yeah. I'm not going yeah, to. Broly. Okay. Yeah, I was about to say. Couldn't Broly's. help
1: myself. I was like, oh wait, I have Broly over here.
0: I always thought I looked like him, you know, in muscle mass and uh, good looks. But uh, yeah, uh, moving on. So Son go through <laughs> and unite. Uh, they fight in a heated fight as the final ring begins to close, but it's Team Unite. That takes out not only them, but they take out USG, they take out CTG, and they take out Team Donuts for the win with nine kills dominating the final ring. So if you want to see dominance in a game, you need to go check game two out on day one. It is completely nuts. They just completely wipe these teams. They heal up, they wipe them, they heal up, they wipe them, and then, of course, they grab the dub. Then we have game three.
1: efficiency, man. That's nuts. Oh,
0: dude. Yeah, I mean, it was was wild. Like, I was like, there's no way. There's no way these guys are going to, especially whenever they fought Sangoku. um, I was like, man, I think Sangoku's got them. And then all of a sudden, you just see all these other teams fall to them. And it's like, oh, man. And their composition was actually Valk, Gibby, and Crypto. So, um, you know, running that uh, normal TSM comp right there from the NA region. Um, And then we had game three with Circle... uh, coming towards Harvester, we see that teams having some fun with crypto drone, so this was one of my favorite moments of the entire thing. You had one team sitting at the west side of Harvester at the very bottom of the hill or at the very bottom of Harvester, really. Then you had another team that was set up there with a caustic, and he flew the drone up and nodded at the caustic and then the caustic of course, did a little dance and so if anything, that shows us that these guys really like to have fun, and so that was really, really cool to see. Um, that happened, but then the final a ring reveals itself to be just south of Harvester, out in the open, as teams continue to battle out in the Harvester to gain to collect some K- KP. Right, they want to gain some of that KP so they get some more points. Teams fly; two teams actually fly um, to get the high ground to land on the on Gibby alts, where three squads are removed quickly in Ring Six. So this is a pretty cool moment too. In this match, where there was two literally two teams with Valk in it, and th- I don't know why, but at the very beginning of Ring Six closing, they fly up out of Harvester to try to get the high ground, I guess. And Gibbies are just on the ground waiting for them, and they get completely demolished when they land. Like, I'm talking about like teams and close on them, Gibbies start raining from above. It is ridiculous. It's in the final ring, Marine fly high, so it was Team Marine actually, uh, but then. It is Team Unite with a low ground, that third party to win with 11 kills, right? So, Team Unite coming out on top again here with the Valk, the Gibby, and the Crypto to pull the win. And this time it was from the low ground. So, we actually got to see them push up to a team on the high ground and still be able to secure the win, which was really, really cool to see there. And if anything, it just, if you go back and watch a game like that, it's going to make you stronger on a map like Storm Point, right? Where literally it's moving from low to high or high to low the whole time. That's what you're doing on Storm Point. So to go back and watch how these teams will move from the low ground and still be able to dominate those teams up on top um, will be very important in your own gameplay, right? Um, Oh yeah. So then we had game 4 which it looks like we had a rain pulling towards countdown and landslide of two teams fall quickly like two teams at the very beginning. It almost one of those lobbies where you queue up and it just says 18. It's like those other two teams didn't even exist, right? So yeah. the casters actually start singing all, all by by myself. Myself. <laughs> Yeah, so and this is because this is a slow game and there's a slow rotates due to placement for drop the final ring actually shows its ugly head in the open field just west of landslide near lava fisher right so uh open field not that great teams were afraid to push in teams were afraid to rotate teams were just getting set up and there's a cool play in ring four actually that kind of you know hyped up the mood where detonator flies up to a high spot and of course this high spot's out of bounds they're playing a valk and they instantly just drop on this team. Like I'm talking about like, I don't know, man. I'm thinking of like a Mike Tyson punch to the face is how it felt for this other team is the way I'm thinking. They drop down on this team, and they just completely wipe them. And then, of course, uh, they they take out all three players only to be EMPed and third party from somebody right above them. So while they got their glory moment, they ended up being completely wiped by some jerk crypto that decided to third party them. Um, but with three teams left in ring six, it is Flora who comes out on the high ground um, to secure the win with 10 kills. And basically, the way that they ended was they were on the high ground at Lava Fisher overlooking the valley um, towards staging. And then they just completely um, wiped the other two teams, is basically how that one went. Um, so that's, that's a typical win there, as long as you get that high ground power position. Uh, we then got game five where Zone was heading towards epicenter for somewhere new, right? So we were looking for somewhere new that wasn't the south side of the map. You had 14 squads alive in a ring four as the zone had taken a turn towards fragment east. We have five teams trying to secure buildings as other teams try to begin to move towards trying to take them from them. All the building players will be forced from the building as the ring uh, final ring looks to be right outside Fragment East on the bridge out- heading to Overlook. It is the reject. It is team reject, not it is the reject who takes the dub from the top of the bridge as teams fall below with non kills as they uh, kick a wraith out of out into the storm for the win. So that was a really cool moment where the only other person with them in the circle was a wraith, and then they just. <laughs> Uh, kicked him (laughs) kicked the Wraith right into the circle for the win, um, which was really really Sparta.
1: My Lord.
0: I know these teams were ruthless, man. They were so crazy. And then we have game six from day one. The final ring will end in fragment East once again, but towards the lava right across from fragment West teams set up in the city as there are still seven teams as the final ring begins to close. And if we know anything, teams can camp anywhere in fragment East and West, and then they uh, at the end, there's just utter chaos as seventeens battle it out. Five out of the seven are in the same building, the one with the train track on top. But it's LFT, but, but, but Gaki. Oh, man. Bakagaki, I guess. Baka, I LFT Bakagaki, <laughs> who takes the win with some impressive team wiping, pushing to the lava as they completely control the final ring with 16 kills and make that dub look super easy. And they were running Jeez. a Gibby and Octane in a crypto. And so, at, in normal Octane fashion, they jump pad into them and collect the dub. So, why don't you go ahead and cover the leaders from that day for us dr simply
1: from the top make it drop the leaders from the day are rxr clover with 73 points they picked up one win for the day with 43 kills in total but their consistency got them to number one spot with a number five a number four and a number three which is pretty huge you know if you can get decent kills Mm -hmm. you don't need the dub to get the wins the kills are still just as important as placement. Oh yeah. If not in some cases, more important, more important, because I believe we talked last week about how a team got the first place, but only got one kill and got basically no points. Um, After that, we have team unite with 69 points. Nice. Picked up two wins for the day with 30 kills. Total need better consistency and more kills to come out on top. It just, you know, again, placements are nice. Like they got two wins and they're still four points behind Clover and only 30 kills. And it just goes to show, like, you need placement, but you also need kills to be able to come out on top. And after that, it's LFT Bakagaki with 57 points. <laughs> they were the week one winners.
0: Yeah, so like you said, what we saw here was your your top two teams really, uh, It was it was not necessarily placing first, but it was being consistent throughout your placements, right? Um, that's where Team Unite fell short by just four points, right? So they picked up two wins, but I think like three out of the six games, they were like 15, 16, 18. So, you know, when it came to getting those placements they needed, it's RXR Clover who just decided, hey, we're going to place top in every game, get those placement points. But not only that, we're going to collect kills on our way to the top. And so, you know, with them, it was probably just rotating smart, Rotating uh, to to different uh, fights that made more sense, um, and that's exactly why they got 13 more kills. Right, 13 more kills is huge. Um, oh, yeah. And then Bakagaki, you know, they won one game um, in this, um, but they weren't really that consistent. But they were still better than the other teams as far as staying out on top. So, um, you know, good job there, RXR Clover Team Unite and Bakagaki as you um, take the top three spots for week number three. Um, for group A, B versus D. And so then on October 31st, we had match day number four, where we had A versus C. We had game one. The ring starts off the day near countdown. Lobbies decide to live as we still see as many as th- 20 teams when ring three begins to close. So a lot of teams, um, but... It changes quickly as in ring three, three teams drop immediately as the ring is closing. The final zone pushes teams into countdown as the final ring will be between countdown and skyhook. Ring four is busy as teams fight their way into countdown with Gibby bubbles and fighting occurring on the surrounding terrains. It's teams fall quickly as six squads are left with the final ring closing. Can Gibby be this strong? Can he? Is he worthy? Absolutely. On every team we see a Gibby and it is because of Gibby that these teams are pulling the dub in this one. It's the crazy raccoons who take the three versus three in and out of the bubbles. As they secure the victory with 11 kills, these crazy raccoons are as crazy as their name suggests. And that's exactly what the host said. I mean, in this, if you want to watch a fight between two teams where it's two teams fully healed up, 3v3 action on a hill in between countdown and skyhook. You need to go watch this one. And Crazy Raccoons are just crazy when it comes to their gunplay here, and they dominate the other team. In game two, we have the cave between Overlooking Geyser. We'll see some love in this area in this game. And this is one area that we didn't get to see any love occur on day one. Right. So there's another slow one. Right. This is another slow game with 19 teams still remaining as ring three closes. The final ring will be just north of the eastern entrance. So the smaller entrance of entrance of the cave from Overlook. Multiple fights occur in different areas across the eastern part of the map as teams use the cave system to try and secure kills. The questions are, who has the most heals? Who has the power position? Who can use the Gibby bubble the best? And it actually comes out to Orthus Fang, who claimed their win through winning fights and smart rotation. I mean, these guys, when I say there's fighting occurring in the eastern part of the map, the entire eastern part of the map, as these bubbles start moving in, it's Orthus Fang and their smart rotation and their ability to win the fights on the hill going up to Overlook that secure the win and it actually gives them a huge amount of kills with eleven kills the same as Kharazian Croons in game one um, but they do it with fashion. I mean, these guys if you ha- if you want anybody to hold a hillside for you so that other teams can't push you in, you want to employ these guys. Just employ them. They'll take care of them. They'll wipe them as they come in. It's like a casual day in the office for Orthus Fang. So then we have game three. Well, final circle looks to be just south of Lava Fisher. Teams begin to camp waiting for ring four, right? So they wait for ring four to close, but it's mayhem that ensues at the beginning as ring five causes teams to try and fight for the high ground just above this final circle in the valley. Right, so teams are fighting in the valley. It's riddle order with the seventeen kills, seventeen kills, as they wipe teams left and right. They look over, they see a team, they're like, "Boy, what, were, what are you even doing there? I'm gonna push you, bro. I'm gonna push you." And they they push these teams like crazy. They secure. The win here, and they do it with fashion. They secure the win from the high ground and watching other teams fight below. And then uh, they take some crazy fights. And then they, you know, there was this one guy from Orthus Fang, right? The the winning team of game two. Um, Well, he was, he was ratting a little bit. um, And then the poor dude got completely demolished as two other teams fought for the win. um, And he just got caged in. It was pretty sad it's always sad to be the rat who thinks you're going to come in second place and it just doesn't happen. Um, So poor, poor uh, lemon from Orthus fang. Um, But we are excited that riddle order took the game with 17 kills. So then we have game four. I'm not going to lie. Game four was one of those games where I hit, uh, I hit fast forward. It was a boring game with the final ring on the bridge in the middle of fragment East and West. Um, basically the same thing we had saw on the day one, there was teams camping buildings, um, and then teams finally began to move and fall in ring five. And as ring five closed, we had squads go from 16 squads to seven squads, um, as the final rain began to close. So that's a lot of deaths that occurred really, really fast. And it's, and it, and, and that's just how these games work in the city, right? That's just exactly how they work. Um, they fight all over the bridge as Rig remained on top of the bridge and in the game with nine kills. They won, do the superb Gibby and Wraith play, and in the end, claim an easy dub. So it looks like if you fight on that bridge between Fragment East and West, you need to be on top of the bridge. Just do it. Be on oh, top yeah, of exactly. the
1: bridge that being on top, I've seen so many different games where it's like high ground is always important, but especially in that one location is being on top of the bridge. So much better than being on the inside of the bridge.
0: Exactly. Exactly. And so we had game five, the ring pulls towards the South of Harvester near lava siphon. This game gets exciting in ring four as good teams fall early. And when I mean good teams, I mean teams that you have heard throughout this entire podcast fall early. Early. There are still 13 squads left with round four closing. Gibby Alt rain down as ring five, and many teams fall as they are forced to move into smaller spaces together. The Fave gaming crew with 12 kills take the win as they fight four teams four different Gibby bubbles for the wind. And this was a very cool moment, right? This was four different Gibby bubbles out in the open towards the South part of Harvester. And then you just had this random horizon ult sit in the middle and it looked like a moment out of a movie or out of a gameplay trailer as uh, unfortunately, literally nobody was sucked into the horizon alt because these guys are too smart to fall for a horizon. Ult. I'm not going to lie. They're too smart. Um, but it was actually poor FC gaming who, uh, you know, they, they had a lot of kills. They had uh had done all the work in order to claim the win, and then they get third-partied by Fave Gaming, um, and Fave Gaming takes the win. And sometimes that's how you get the dub. You, you're the sneaky jerk that third parties the for the dub, but hey, whatever's necessary. And they had 12 kills. They did work. They took out a portion of the lobby. So great job, Fave uh, Gaming, in game five. And then our final game of the weekend. In our final game, we see... The final ring, of course, closing in towards thermal station. There's third party after third party As only five squads remain heading in to ring six. The final circle with, with, will end up being in the building up on the cliff just Southeast of thermal station. Right? So we've seen this before. There's a little building up on the cliff. It, it ring tends to land there at least once in a weekend of ALGS. Um, And so there's Gibby Bubbles protecting teams as crazy raccoon rain down damage from above. And what I'm talking about, this is one of those crazy Valk moments again, where they fly up in the final ring. And as they're coming down, this Valk just hovers above them, rains down the grenades, rains down her rockets and completely wipes teams. But it's somehow GTS Although Crazy Raccoon is doing all the damage they can to pull out the dub, GTF pulls out the win with six kills by chilling inside the building and Valk ulting up again after them. And regardless of going out of bounds, they rain thermals and, and grenades below in order to secure the win over Crazy Raccoons who had done the same thing. Poor Crazy Raccoons. But again, we talked about it before. You're great at the beginning. You're great up until the end, but at the end, you weren't able to secure it. And it's GTS, those rats that will secure the final win for day number two of the APAC North week number three in the ALGS. And so, Dr. Shrimply, why don't you go ahead and give us these leaders from the day for day number two um, so we can get going.
1: All right. So. In the first place, we have Rig with 80 points. They picked up one win for the day, but with 38 kills total, they were able to grab a whole bunch of points. They finished fifth, second, fourth, third, and another. Oh, wait. Oh, yeah, no, sorry. Finished... fifth, two fourths, a third, and a second. Yeah. And they're in their other matches. System. Oh yeah, dude, that's that's insane. Top fives pretty much all the time. There's nothing better mm-hmm. than that. With 38 kills, that's that's a lot of points. Obviously, as you see with 80 there, Riddle Order with 60 points and 38 kills for the day. They came out on came out on top in game three, but just wasn't consistent enough to get close to Rig. GTS with 56 points and 21 kills. Overall leaders. Uh, thank you, Battle Five. You want to catch them all at battlefy.com. Or for week three, so we have. Flora in first with third is 23 points. LFT Bakagaki. Sorry, three. What is the plate for these? These are weird. This is not the same setup we had for North America.
0: I believe it's three three weeks of play, is the way that oh, Battlefly okay. does it. As they said, yeah, you've played three weeks, but these are your overall points for those three weeks that you played.
1: I'm very confused. About uh, then we have, like I said, LFT, Bakagaki. With 20 points, Rig with 20 points, and 456 with 20 points. Crazy Raccoon, if they were just slightly more consistent, they probably could have been one of those other teams with 20 points. And they sat there with 18. And after that, we have the teams comps, which quite drastic from pretty much every other region.
0: It's pretty crazy to see what these team comps are doing. Why don't you go ahead and list some of them's TIM comps and then we can talk a little bit about them?
1: So we've got Caustic. Crypto, and Gibby. Not too crazy. But after that, it's Loba, Crypto, and Caustic. I don't even think we even said Loba's name in the last episode.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, then we've got Crypto, Gibby, and Octane. Pretty much makes sense. It's just swapping out Bloodhound for Crypto. Then we've got Valk, Gibby, Caustic. Uh, pretty standard. Fuse, Valk, and Gibby. Another strange one. I don't. Again, don't think we mentioned Fuse at all either. And then, of course, the OGs, Gibby, Octane, and Bloodhound.
0: Yeah, so I mean, the really the one that stuck out with me the most was you know four five six being one of those dominant teams. They usually play the crypto, the Gibby, and the Loba. And so what I really liked seeing from that composition in itself was the util, the utilization of Loba to collect the um, the loot as fights were going. And uh, you know you could obviously tell that these teams that play Loba. Practice their ability to grab loot quickly from a Loba ult. This isn't like, okay, well, one guy on our team specializes in Loba. This is our entire team has a Loba. We we know we have a Loba on it, and we practice getting loot from Loba's ult so that we can shield swap just as quick in Loba's ult as we would be able to um, from a box. Right, so I think that's one big, really point—a big one, big point from having a loba on your team is the ability to use her ult where it matters. Um, and then, of course, one of the greatest things uh, loba is great for is escaping. Right, the ability to escape and then to rat out—you'll um, see that a couple of times. And then the crypto—we talked about that before. Surveillance is important, and in, uh, um, any information you can get during a um, during a match is important. And so to have them. Uh, To be able to do that is huge. And then Gibby is just needed across all. Um, But one of the other cool ones that, like we mentioned, Loba, Crypto, and Caustic, Shrimply. How do you feel about that group right there? It's kind of weird.
1: Well, honestly, I think uh, from the outside looking, it actually makes a lot of sense, like especially because of what you said about Loba. But the other thing you can do is if you know you're going to be there for a while, you can use her ult to pull the armor out of those boxes and just drop it on the ground, Mm -hmm. which can be really big for other cryptos, since cryptos seem to be a like way more prevalent in these than pretty much any other region. That EMP is nuts. I think it's, what, 50 damage, I believe? Mm -hmm. Something like that. And you can just immediately swap to a new piece of armor and not even have to worry about it. And then, of course... Ammo is a big thing, and then having your own crypto to be able to surveil is powerful because you can see which teams are moving in on you, and it it can make you really make more informed decisions about who you need to target first, and then, of course, if anyone tries to push you or flank you, you've got caustic and honestly, like I'm all here for it, and I'm surprised that more teams aren't running that setup,
0: yeah, I think that one of the biggest things you'll notice about a team that runs this composition is because they don't have the Gibby, they're really strong where circles end on buildings, right? This is a place where Caustic will shine. Caustic does not shine out in the open. None of these characters shine out in the open, right? Crypto is one of those characters you want to protect um, while he's sitting in a corner somewhere, looking at his drone. Loba, you don't want to use a Loba ult out in the open. You can't, it gets easily destroyed. And then Caustic, the only time you ever want to push out in the open with caustic is in the final circle when there's going to be a bunch of teams fighting and you want to use the caustic gap to, gas to do as much damage as possible. Right? So this yeah. is a team that really uses cover really utilizes it. Um, And we saw that as it was being played. So really cool here to see the, the changeups in character selection um and just to, Uh, see how that was played, right? And so one of the big questions we'll have going into um, the uh, playoffs will be, this will be, the playoffs will be all the teams put together in one match from different regions. And and as we obviously see, um, it it depends on what region you're in is what characters are played, right? NA and EMEA are very, very alike. But APAC North has shown us that there's different compositions coming to the playoffs. And I like what me and Dr. Shimbley talked about before the show is that, you know, whenever these new conference positions are introduced for people from EMEA and NA, it could pose a problem because they're not ready. They've never faced compositions like this before. And so it'll be huge in the championship, um, well, not championship, but in the playoffs to see how this plays out, right? And and what teams will come out on top, what compositions will make uh for the best uh choice. As we fight, I think it'll. I think the the playoffs will be hopefully in World's Edge. I hope the whole first split is in World's Edge.
1: I believe it is. The I believe they have the one map and everything stays there until until later.
0: Yeah, we'll probably see in Split two. We'll probably see Storm Point in Split two. I'm sure they'll put Storm oh, Point in so. there eventually. I hope so. Um. So you know. So just keep that in mind as we continue to talk about these team comps. Uh. You know. Listen to what each region is playing, and then of course. When it comes time for our playoff episode, make sure you're listening because we will definitely talk about how these different regions bring different things to the table and what it's done. So let's go ahead and move into our final uh section here. So the final section of this podcast is called Importance of Map Rotation. And so on September 12th, Pro Guides Apex Legends, which is a YouTube channel, published a YouTube video called Master Zone Rotations in Apex. Um, and so we'll put a link in the description for this. So don't worry, you'll be able to find it. Um, and so he covered some things about rotation and ring prediction and all that kind of stuff that I wanted to cover here. So I'm gonna run through it real quick and then we will discuss it and how we see it in the ALGS. So, what most players do, they wait for the ring to begin moving in and then they decide where to go next, right? That is really how most players do. Um, A lot of players, they drop in. They don't even look at their map till they hear that the ring's moving in. They don't, right? They loot up. uh, They might already know which way they're going to go or they might look real quick. I'm going to go rotate here because it makes more sense. Um, But they don't really deep dive into like, this is what we need to rotate because this is where the final ring's moving um, based upon where it's leaning, blah, 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 all that kind of stuff. But this is not what to do in order to get wins, right? And valued from uh, the uh channel actually mentions a bunch of things that i think that dr and shrimply and me were able to we were able to learn quite a bit i don't know how you feel about it doctor but i think that i mean i learned quite a bit from the video i did
1: i I learned a couple things that i did not notice before like honestly i would like to think that from basically just watching people play this game all the time because that's what i do outside of this other than play is i've really been able to take that time and actually watch how the ring moves but there were little things that they tell you in this video. So I highly recommend go watching it. Even after we break it down, it's still just a really well put together video that I never noticed before that I think are really going to help me be much more accurate.
0: Yeah. So there's five points that this guy talks about. The first point is the ring is not random. It's not, it's actually very predictable. Um, I'm not saying that the first ring is not random, but I'm saying that every ring from the first ring is predictable, is what I would say. Um, the first ring will actually favor, and these are the facts that he brought forth, the first ring will actually favor a side of the map and is very rarely centered. I've, I have In my last three years of Apex play, I can honestly say that there was almost never a time where a ring was center of map. Never, really. I don't know about you, Shrimply, but that's very true. It's oh, always leaning... Yeah, it's always leaning north, south, east, or west. Um, And sometimes the zone gets a little wacky, right? Sometimes the zone will look like it's leaning away and then completely turn the opposite way. But most of the time, the zone is pulled uh, towards a certain direction, right? The zone actually tries to find as many POIs within its circle whenever within the circle it can, right? So basically, if you're looking at this, let's say a, a zone is pulling towards thermal station, Well, you'll start seeing as the zones continue to close out, you'll have multiple POIs in that zone. So if you're looking towards thermal station, you know, the ring would probably begin to focus around staging, thermal station, then tree. And then the next ring in would either lean more towards thermal station and staging or thermal station and tree and then probably put you either somewhere in between or somewhere at one of those locations. So the ring heavily depends on these POIs because they know that it will make for an interesting, more interesting fight. The zone will avoid having too much open field or mountains within its boundaries. This is true. The zone maximizes how many areas are within it to try to keep the match as interesting as it can. Right. So they want to make for a final ring that will be interesting, um, whether that be, um, you know, we have about two buildings left. We have a little bit of high ground left. So how interesting can we make? the final fights as teams begin to fight for the win, right? You want to take this note, uh, especially when, whenever you're in the current in a zone, right? Is the current zone hugging a specific side of the map? Wherever it is hugging, it will generally continue to pull. So if you have a zone that's pulling towards thermal station, it will continue pulling towards thermal station uh, the the majority of the time. Of course, like I said, the, the ring can get wacky, but the majority of the time it will continue pulling that way. The POIs in its path can help you determine what alterations it takes. Just like I said, with staging, with the tree, with thermal station, you know, whatever POIs, you can kind of guess how that'll look for you. Right. So like, let's say that that is the ring you're looking at, right. You're looking at a thermal station, a stage and a tree ring. Right. And let's say you decide to rotate into staging, um, you know, because you know, the ring is pulling that way. Well, even if the, uh, ring takes a turn towards tree, you still can come from the high ground at thermal station. Right. And then push into tree. The same thing can be said from tr- coming into tree to thermal station, right? There's that high ground over thermal station if it starts leaning towards staging. So, you know, the ring, the way that you approach the ring is very important. Um, and you definitely want to look at the terrain and the POIs that surround or, or are included in the ring in order to make the final decisions as you begin to push into the ring. Um, the second point that he stated was active side versus dead side of the zone. So what this is, is the dead side of the zone is the skinny side of the zone. So imagine a ring, um, around thermal station. Once again, I'm just going to keep using this cause it's easier to use the same location. So as you, as the ring begins to close, the skinny side of the ring will be closer to tree and closer staging. Whereas the, the active side would be all of the other POIs northeast of that area. Right? So the, the fat, the, the active side is that huge area that closes really, really fast as the ring begins to close. Whereas you had the smaller skinnier sides of the ring as it begins to close to the next ring um, that moves slower. Right? So that's one of the biggest perks of being on the dead side. And most of the time on this dead side, um, the position is very well suited for the next ring, right? So if you're on the dead side of the ring uh, where it's going to move slow, the, the likelihood of you getting art, being already placed into The next circle for the next uh next ring is very likely, and this is also the usually the safest places to be, right? This is a place where most of the time uh, teams are not coming in from. A lot more teams come in from the area that is larger, and 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 the rings moving faster, right? So if you're in these areas, you're set up. You're waiting for the ring to close so that you can move into the ring that's right next door to you. um, This is definitely the safest position to be, of course, unless. Other teams are pushing into that as well. It also allows you to be very well positioned and um, getting the win easier, right? It makes getting the win easier. You might not get as many kills because you're not having to fight as many people, but it makes getting the win easier. <coughs> Sorry for the cough. And then you have active side, right? Which is the area... Uh, where most players are. It's the area where there's a large amount of uh, circle left and the ring is closing in super fast as it begins to close in on the, on the next ring, right? This is where most of the teams will be. Most of the teams will be pushing from the circle from all directions, right? So let's say if we're at thermal station, you're going to have teams pushing from fragment to harvester. You're going to have teams pushing from countdown to staging. You're going to have teams pushing from the dome to tree. So teams can be coming from any which way. um, And the thing that's following them is this fast-moving circle because they are farther away from the next circle. So then they so basically the way that this works is as you're moving into those areas, not only do you have a fast moving circle, but you're having to traverse a bunch of different levels of the map. Um, You know, I think of if I'm coming in from Fragment uh, East to go into Harvester to make my way to thermal station, I'm going to have to go down into Harvester, go over some lava, go up the hill um, to get to thermal station. So I'm having to go through a lot of different things. And most of the time I'm having to go through POIs that can be very very dangerous and that way I can run into a lot more teams. And this is exactly where third parties happen, right? As you're trying to push in a circle, those third parties are right behind you trying to do the exact same thing and it this and by not playing in the active side, you will get away from getting those frustrating deaths where you've just fought in order to secure yourself uh further into the ring, but then behind you there's another team. If you go ahead and you play the dead side of the zone, you will not have that issue and then he covers how to rotate rotate in apex legends right so he says push into the dead side of the zone as soon as possible some games it may take you a while and sometimes you don't even get there to the very end but do not give up on the rotation to push into that dead side hugging the outside of the circle as you make your way is the best bet Right. So if you're looking at the huge circle, you're at the farthest you can be away from the next circle, hug the outside because it's less likely for you to be put in between you and another team and then get third partied. And that's one thing that Elmer and me, um, you know, whenever I was playing with Elmer, I, I really brought out whenever we would start going towards a team, I would say we need to rotate around them so that we put them in between us and the other team behind us right so if we are getting pinched how can we rotate out of that pinch in order to get around them so that we're the ones then pinching that team that's that's pinching us right and so that's kind of how we played that and then with that just simply having map knowledge can be one of the biggest things here right you know knowing your power positions knowing those places where they can be death traps is huge right And even sometimes it it might mean taking ring damage to rotate around death traps, and that's okay. Just make sure that you have the hills in order to do it. Um, And you know, with storm point, one of the biggest thing is power positions, especially since a lot of teams have the high ground on you. In order to secure those power positions quickly can be huge. The fourth thing he said, I think this is pretty self explanatory, is use survey beacons. And then the last thing he said was just use Valk. Right? If you don't want to deal with Uh, number one through three of what we just told you um, just use Valk and then you can reposition immediately. Right. So Shrimply, I'm curious on, on your style of play. Um, Are you someone that, you know, takes this kind of stuff to heart? You really look at the map as you're trying to make a decision on where to go next, or are you someone who just makes quick judgments and hope that you can last?
1: Sometimes it's a bit of both. I know like when I'm solo queuing up, a lot of times it's just quick judgments unless I'm able to get comms out of somebody. Um, But I will say that rotating and trying to get to zone early, especially for both just placement and for kills is actually big. And I think what a lot of people get stuck doing is instead of rotating when they should, they loot too long. A big key thing is knowing what you can do with less. If you can do a lot with a little, then you're going to go a lot further because you can let the other teams do all of the looting for you. Like, third party says it. I, I know Dropping Spicy probably said it a couple times, at least. I mean, a lot of the other people out there say it. Loot bodies, not buildings. Let other teams do the work mm-hmm. for you. Get that placement. Drop those teams, get your delicious KP closer to those higher placements, and you get all that loot with it. Like, there's there's no sense in staying in one area, like, yes, you're safe and comfortable, but there are fights, there's rotations that need to happen that you're going to be missing out on because you're still too busy looting. And I, I think that is a biggest mistake that... I wished he would have mentioned in this video, but it was specifically about map rotation and not just, you know, how to play. So I can understand why it's not in there. And like, yeah, and, and, like from a yeah. quick recap standpoint, there, there's nothing that in here that people should not learn. It's, it's beautiful. He explains everything in a very lovely way where you can understand it and not get bored, which is good.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And then, I honestly recommend everybody go watch it for yourself. I know we broke it down, especially Gio with him and his beautiful notes. He's broken it down and pretty much explained everything word for word what the guy said. But it's still worth going to watch and taking your own point of view from it.
0: Yeah, and the one thing that I really want to do real quick is just mention that the best way to see this in action is to watch the ALGS It really is the, you will have both of a best of both worlds is what you would call it. Right. Um, you have teams that will literally drop familiar and then, and then rotate in based upon their familiar drop, no matter where the ring is, they rotate in. And those are the teams you usually see the Valcon, right? They, they, they go to that fifth point I talked about where points one through three don't even matter active side dead side of zone, who cares right they use the valk to go ahead and rotate into the dead side of zone to go ahead and secure their place in the final ring because placement matters to them right and then you have some other teams that play more of an aggressive style and they they will land uh wherever they won't have a valk on their team but then they'll push in and and they do that because they know that they're better at gunplay than the rest right and they and they're cool with that And so playing that active side of ring, it might not be the best way to get first place. It might not be the easiest way to get first place, but it sure picks them up the points they need. You know, we saw that, you know, it isn't always placement points that get you the the placement in these tournaments, right? It's sometimes it's about collecting the kills um, in order to get the win. And so, you know, playing that active side can be huge and we see it a lot in the LGS, but we also see a lot of that dead side. Um, And, you know, the the best, best example of a dead dead side ring um, and playing that would be in your fragment at East and West, you know, final circles. There's a bunch of teams whenever it comes to fragment East and West that they will play the dead side and you will just see teams stacked upon teams in buildings and places in order to just have this slow, boring game until about ring six when people start moving in because they're forced to. Right. But then you have rings uh, like Lava Siphon and Dome where you will see teams constantly rotating um, and and pushing in from the active side because they know they can collect kills and and they know that it's not all about hiding in a building and securing the win that way. And there's more open area and that the rings are likely to to end in a more open area. And so you can really decide whether or not you want to play active or dead side of zone just simply by looking at the way the map is going to is pulling towards. Right knowing that it is predictable, knowing that you can predict it. Um, And then most importantly, what I would say more than anything is your map knowledge. You know, as a geographer, that's literally my, you know, I have a master's and a bachelor's in geography. Uh, One of the biggest things I've learned in playing Apex Legends is knowing the topography of, of these maps knowing where your high areas are, knowing where your low areas are, knowing how to navigate where they are. I mean, it can be simple as uh, whenever you look at an area like Overlook, knowing where the next RV is that you need to move up to. It can be that simple. And it it makes all the difference if you're able to set yourself up in order to get the win. And, and, And that comes with not only being able to rotate, but also making sure your character compositions make sense. You know, that's exactly why we see Gibby played. Is because you know they know that a lot of these places they're going to need cover. A lot of these rotations are going to need cover, so they pick the Gibby in order to do that. Uh, we know the Valkus pick so that the rotation is easier. I mean, all of these are different thoughts that are already going through pros' minds as they enter in any game of Apex Legends. And I would say that you know if you want to be on that next level, right? You're asking yourself, all right, well, I've, I've made myself into gold. Uh, how can I get myself into plat? Simply, just look at map rotation. Look at who you're playing, why you're playing it. Look at your map knowledge. Like if I said the words lava fisher, do you know exactly where that is whenever I say that word? You know, if I say, hey, what's the best way to get from harvester all the way to climatizer? Which route would you take? What terrain makes the most sense? Would you go, which POIs would you go through? Uh, these are different things that you can ask yourself. Right, and and make sure that you understand where the next power position is, where the next Jeff trapped is. Utilize those survey beac- beacons and utilize the characters that you have and the kits that you're applying, and that will get you to that next level of apex. Right? um Did you have any more closing remarks, Doctor shumpley before we close it up tonight?
1: So, on on the whole rotating thing, like I think a big takeaway from this video that you can get, and from from us here at this podcast, you know, if you're having trouble with rotations. Try Valk out. Give her a shot. Because the the biggest thing you can do to make your rotations easier, bring Valk, land wherever you know a survey beacon is likely to spawn. So pick a few places around them on the map that you can get comfortable with and know. That way you land, get a few guns. If no one lands with you, grab the, the beacon. And then after that, clear out that area and then use her redeploy to get to that dead side. And I think that would help people out a lot with their rotations if they're having a hard time with it. And especially if you're solo queuing, bring a Valk. People will follow you. Because mm-hmm. as soon as things get tough, they're like, where's the Valk, we gotta go. Where's the Valk, we gotta go. And they'll, they'll just hop mm-hmm. on your back and fly away. So I think if, if you're solo queuing, take Valk, learn where the survey beacons are, and learn when to call for a redeploy, either for rotating across map, or to get out of a really bad situation, especially if you say you have a crypto on your team or a bloodhound, but I think crypto is better. The situation is seeing people from a distance because they can scan the banners. I think like, Oh, Hey guys, we have like four squads here. Maybe you want to Valk rotate the heck out of there because you really don't want to get in a four squad fight. Mm-hmm. So I think yeah. that's the biggest takeaway for me personally on the rotations.
0: Yeah. Just know that it is okay to collect your KP your kill points in the final fights. You don't always have to drop hot, get the kills. You can, as a team collectively make the decision to get the kills in the final ring. And, and it works. You still, you can still collect about five, you know, five K the five kill points or whatever you can get, or I think you can get points for up to five kills and ranked or whatever.
1: It's a seven. I think now, I think it's seven because it's, it's either five kills or, or seven kills or seven assists or a mixture of both. And you get this Yeah, inevitable. they've changed They
0: changed a lot in ranked this, this last season. So we'll definitely talk about that. Yeah. <laughs> we'll talk about that this Wednesday. A lot of the ranked, uh, we'll talk about that because I am a very huge fan of ranked. And I definitely oh, yeah. think that this is one of the most confusing ranked systems I've ever seen in my life.
1: Like, man, I just I just look at people and shoot them all the same. I didn't even bother reading the patch notes on it. They're like, oh, yeah, so here's the changeup. And I started to read it. And I was like, oh, no, you know what? I'm just going to stick to what I know best, which is shoot movement, take placement. It seems to be working <laughs> out, okay?
0: Hey, hey, whatever works for you. <laughs> hey, with that, we'll actually close up the show. We want to thank you all for listening. Thank you all for joining us again for another ALGS episode. And we hope that the map rotation um, discussion will aid you in your ability to play apex better and be a better teammate for your team. As you drop into the new map of storm point, we want to make sure you visit our link tree at linktree forward slash BR underscore broadcast. Again, that's link tree forward slash BR underscore broadcast where you will find our link, our links to anchor, Apple Podcasts, our Twitter link, our Twitch link, our Discord link, and also our Patreon link, where you can find us at patreon.com forward slash VR underscore broadcast, where you can become a Patreon for as little as $1 a month and as much as $5 a month, where you can get things such as AMAs with us, you can get VOD reviews, you get access to the notes, all kinds of things. So make sure that you check us out at patreon.com. Dr. Shrimply, why don't you go ahead and give us your social media?
1: Well, real quick, thank you, uh, Bert, also known on Twitch. If you want to support him as Blind Mirage at TTV, Um, he doesn't play Mirage. I still don't understand the name, but it's whatever. Uh, (laughs) But thank you for for supporting us. And, you know, y'all are not obligated to do that. You're just listening is more than enough. And joining the discord is more than enough. But
0: Mm -hmm.
1: all of my handles are pretty much Dr. Shrimply. I am a simpleton. Uh, it is pretty much everything is dr shrimply and sometimes there's a space sometimes or not but usually by using that you can find me on twitter twitch origin steam eventually youtube working on it um my instagram i gotta reset up for that discord's the same i'm in pretty much all of the the discords that we've mentioned i'm under that name you will find me i'm out there
0: (laughs) yeah definitely look for him man he's fun to play with dr shrimply is Very entertaining. And if anything, you definitely need to go play arenas with him. He is extremely entertaining. It's fun to see somebody soul sucked out whenever you have a good lobo on your team. Uh, (laughs) No, he here's for you. They belong (laughs) to me and me alone. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, So best way to reach out to me is actually by using that link tree forward slash BR underscore broadcast. I'm logged into the broadcast of more than I am my own accounts. Now to play Apex with me, you can add me on Steam at Geo or on Origin at MASH underscore Geo. You can find me at Geo Gaming on YouTube, but we will be uh, bringing a broadcast YouTube um, soon. You can also find me on discord at geo number four, five, seven, four. Um, and, and just to s- go with that, me saying that about YouTube, we will be looking to live stream the show very soon. And the way that I'm going to do that is I'm going to live stream it on Twitter, on Twitch. I'm going to live stream it on YouTube and I'm going to live stream it on Facebook all at the same time. That's is three the
1: times the faces, three mm-hmm. times the fun.
0: <laughs> three times the double chins from me. <laughs> That's we- six chin. Yes. Yeah, six chins. Yeah. And shrimp, simply <laughs> we all have double chins. The good thing about our double chins, those they are covered up with beautiful luscious beards. Right. So with that, we would really like for you to share the show with your friends, rate and review your, on your favorite podcast platform of choice. Of course, one of the biggest ones, is Apple Podcasts. make sure you go there. We have six uh, ratings that I will just, I will actually talk about on the next show. We will read some of those off. Um, But make sure that you go and give us a five star there and we will see you next time on broadcast. Be safe. I love you. Yes, we love you.